This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by David and Brady. We've got a whole lot to talk about today, starting with a little bit of football discussion. The Lending Tree Bull win over Western Kentucky 39-21. A little bit of football news and then moving into basketball, talking about the upcoming Coastal Carolina doubleheader. And then we have a couple of listener questions to cap off this week's episode. Let's get right into it with the Lending Tree Bowl win. So, Western Kentucky scored first in the game after coming up with an end zone interception of Quad Brown and driving 80 yards and punching it into the end zone. Georgia State answered back immediately with an 11 play, 75 yard drive in 3 minutes and 54 seconds to tie it at 7 with 8 seconds left in the first quarter. The second quarter was all Georgia State. The defense came up with Terrell Pigram's first two interceptions of the year. The offense put together three touchdown drives, and the Panthers took a 27-7 lead into the locker room. WKU scored on their opening drive of the third quarter and came up with a stop on the following defensive possession, but a muffed punt set Georgia State up in field goal range, and Noel DeRuiz drilled it to make it 30-14. The Hilltoppers clawed inside the Georgia State five-yard line in their next drive, but they were stopped on downs at the two and couldn't cut it to a one-score game. The Panthers responded with a 14-play, 86-yard drive across the third and fourth quarters, and Ruiz's second field goal of the game made it 33-14 with 11 minutes left. The teams traded garbage-time touchdowns late, but that was all she wrote. Quad Brown went 16 of 30 for 232 yards and three passing touchdowns. Dustin Coates, 117 rushing yards and one touchdown. Outside linebacker John Trey Hunter had one interception and one fumble recovery. And the NCAA's new leader in sacks, Jordan Strawn, had one and a half in the game. And not to be forgotten, freshman quarterback McKaylee Colasurdo hit sophomore Kadarius Thompson for his first career pass completion. And it ended up being good for a touchdown, the first of both players' careers at Georgia State. Gentlemen, what did we think about the Lending Tree Bowl? Huge fan of lending trees, giving trees, you know, all the trees Um, and this bowl game as well. I thought it was a really complete performance with maybe the exception of special teams, which we can get into a little later. Um, The special teams wasn't teams in the minutiae being less good mattered because the offense and the defense both showed up. It was a little bit slow to start. Um, we saw the what's become usual in 2020 of a, a quad makes a mistake throw, but then he's so good the rest of the game. You kind of forgot that there was some rust to clean up there at the start of it. But bottom line performance team can be proud of coming back after a month of not playing. Uh, I think it was a team they should have beaten by maybe not 18, uh, although I'm not surprised that's how the game played out. But it was a game that I thought that if Georgia State lost, there would be some real questions about how that happened because I just thought Georgia State was the better team. And so it's good to see them go out and do what they're supposed to do, confirm that winning season, and continue with the three-game win streak into the offseason and kind of continue to build that momentum going forward because now that's two winning seasons in a row. It is. It is definitely great that Georgia State won that game. Uh, As you said, they were probably the better team. And, you know, coming into it, it definitely seemed like it was going to be a good matchup for Georgia State. I think 
and you kind of saw it a little bit in the first quarter of the game. If Western Kentucky's defense was going to play out of their minds, then yeah, they definitely would have had a chance, but it was always going to come down to their offense, just being able to match Georgia state. Um, and Georgia state's defense after what I would attribute to, you know, a little bit longer of a layoff was sort of the reason why they were rusty in the first quarter. Um, but the defense just decided in the second quarter and then on that they were not going to let this Hilltoppers team beat them. And they did, not you know, throughout the entire game, Western Kentucky only had 284 yards. You know, there was the three turnovers, the incredible ant lane interception, um, where he, I mean, he just stole that ball away. Uh, and it was, it was beautiful. Um, the, you know, the John Trey Hunter interception where he just went straight back on it and just decided that Pigram's deep ball was going to be his. And, you know, those types of plays were incredible. And so definitely congrats to Georgia state for the win. Um, I, you know, I don't even want to preface that obviously, but I, I do think that the outcome that happened in the game that we saw was exactly as I expected it to go. You know, Georgia state ran the ball. Well, quad had a good day. And, you know, after the defense kind of shook off that early rust that I spoke of, they, you know, were pretty much lights out. Yeah. Um, my first thought as I was rewatching the game and I was also what I thought as I was watching the game live, what I was able to watch live, um, a little surprising to me that Pigram hadn't thrown an interception because even before the picks in the second quarter, there were some throws that either he just underthrew on bad enough or as he was facing pressure, he just kind of threw up and didn't find a Georgia state player, but it was kind of, I wasn't surprised once the interception started coming to fruition, it, it felt inevitable just because he was putting some throws in dangerous places. And that's not what I would necessarily have thought when I, either when I watched the old games, I didn't see that as much. And I also, when you see someone has zero interceptions through playing most of the year, you kind of assume it's because they're good at not throwing dangerous throws, but actually uh, Georgia state made him pay. Although like you say, the ant lane one, it wasn't even really a bad throw. And Tavis just stole it, uh, no, left no, that, in, that... took it. And it was a big play that receiver caught that ball. Like Aunt Lane just decided you're not going to have this ball after a certain point. Like, I mean, it was a decent throw, decent play, but Aunt Lane just decided, no, Georgia state's defense is getting off the field and I'm going to be the one to force that and make it happen. And I think it just was part of a general theme, which I mean, we don't know what the game plan was from the Georgia state defensive staff, but it felt like the game plan was, this quarterback can't beat you deep consistently. So don't give him the underneath stuff, make him do that. And it looked like it paid off the first drive. And I don't remember what it was a third and short for sure. And you could tell that on the play Pigram first wanted to go to the flat and a defender again, can't pull their name out of my head right now, but a defender immediately took away that option in the flat and actually Pigram had a guy pretty open. I don't remember the cornerback was um, really good job remembering stuff. Obviously great job for me. Um, got beat on that play. And there was a guy running pretty free that if he set his feet and let it go, it would have been an easy touchdown if the ball got there, but he was going there as a secondary look and he didn't really get set. And then when he threw, he missed the guy by like 10 yards and they had to punt. And that was the end of that. And 
there were a couple other throws like that where there was a guy open and maybe the early rustiness was enough having an effect there for the defense, but he just couldn't consistently make that throw. And I think, I think if he did, it would have been a different game because I think there were some chances, big explosive plays for WKU and they couldn't make it happen. And while that was true, they also never really run, um, which I don't know if that was just, that's not how they do things or they didn't think they'd have success doing it against this Georgia state front, but it kind of culminated in, especially when everything started snowballing in the second quarter, just the offense for Georgia state staying on the field and the Western Kentucky defense having to stay on the field and Georgia state scored three touchdowns in that quarter and took over the game. And it wasn't really close after that. Um, there was the one moment where it maybe could have gotten close was when it was 30 to 14. Uh, Jordan Strawn came up with that sack to end the drive, but then got a flag for, uh, taunting the bench, which really unfortunate because it was a really good play. Um, and it extended the drive and Western Kentucky continued the drive and forced it inside. And it was second and one at the two and the Georgia state defense held. They stuffed Western Kentucky on the run on second and third down. So I think it scared them out of trying to run for one yard on a fourth and one from the two and the throw sailed and Georgia state went down and got a field goal on a nice clock killing drive and pushed it to three scores. And at that point it was really truly just time was not going to allow many offenses to put up 19 points in that time. And this offense that hadn't really done a lot all game was especially going to be behind the eight ball. And, you know, I, I know we've said it in other games this year, but it's incredible that we can sit here and talk about a Georgia state team that put up f- almost 40 points and still feel like, you know, the, shining unit, if you will, was the defense because I mean, they, they just played incredible. I think the only drive where Western Kentucky truthfully moved the ball at will. And you could say that Georgia state's defense looked shaky was the touchdown drive in the first quarter. You know, I, I thought the tackling could have been better. Um, you know, and I thought that there was some cover blown coverages, especially the play where the guy stepped out at the two yard line. Um, but, you know, after that drive, it was like someone on the sidelines, Coach Elliott or, you know, Coach Fuquay, they just sat there, talked to them. And, you know, all of that was immediately cleaned up, you know. And as you said, it seemed like Western Kentucky was a little bit shy, you know, kind of running an offense that is capable of, you know, attacking Georgia State's weak spots. There was a particular sequence where Western Kentucky was attempting to punt and neither team really let it happen. And two and a half minutes plus of real time happened without this punt actually happening. Something usually takes, you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds at the most. Uh, so that was just an interesting illustration of just, it was a little, uh, the kick coverage wasn't Georgia state. Uh, they, I don't know what the strategy was this week. It's been pretty good all year, but there were some rough moments and West. Kentucky that was the one part where they they won they got good returns they got good field position uh but you know take their best return of the day for example they got the return out to the 43 of Georgia State the next play was the Hunter interception and then Georgia State went down and scored and so still that even when they were able to get opportunities with with special teams plays Western Kentucky just wasn't able to manufacture points on offense 
And that's, I mean, you know, when you've got a guy like quad on the other side, like that's rough. You, you, you gotta be able to put up points and that's, you know, we've, we've, how long have we sat here and talked about this game and we haven't even been able to really dive in offensively because, you know, when the other guy is lighting it up and, you know, the running game is working for the, the other team, if your offense isn't being able to do anything, it's, it's going to be a long day. Like it was for Western Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, the interceptions obviously helped a good deal in the second quarter, but the offense was just clicking. The offense was clicking. I think that was the best quarter of the year. I don't think that's controversial to say. Um, obviously, in margin, I don't think there's a quarter that is matched with the 20 nothing edge, but I, the offense was just aggressive. Quad was hitting all the right spots. He was finding the open guy. The running game got going. Uh, the third and 15 draw play that uh, Destin coach got the first down on when I think it was either, a, you know, let's see how much we can cut into this and make it a manageable fourth down or call from coach Elliott. It, it was a, you know, it's third and 15 don't make a mistake and got a first down out of it. I felt that was very symbolic of both how the quarter was going for Georgia state's offense and how it was going for Western Kentucky's defense. But I liked seeing, uh, you know, a guy like Jamari Thrash get a touchdown. It was a nice diving play. Uh, he continues to be Sam Pickney and do Sam Pickney things, and nothing he does really, I think, surprises any of us anymore. So every time he mosses someone, it's like, that's Sam. And uh, I just, you know, Cornelius McCoy, Mr. Reliable, another five catches, 88 yards, and the touchdown right before the end of the half. I feel bad because, you know, I was trumpeting the, you know, the idea that quad struggles earlier in the year were, was related to McCoy. And as soon as McCoy would come back after missing a couple of games, you know, quad would probably turn it on. And of course the very next game was the coastal game where nothing for Georgia state offensively went well. Um, but McCoy has been just the perfect compliment for Sam Pinckney this year. And this bowl game wasn't exactly the reason why, because when Western Kentucky decided, okay, we're going to try to take away Sam Pinckney. You had all of those beautiful throws to McCoy who, you know, he can beat you so many different ways. You had the over the top one to, for the touchdown you have, you know, the underneath stuff where he's able to move with the ball, you know, those slants, you know, you mentioned Jamari thrash, you know, and one of his bigger plays was just off a nice, easy slant to the, you know, the right side from the opposite hash a little bit, you know, and if Western Kentucky was just going to keep giving Georgia state, the middle quad was just going to keep hitting it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like some complicated offense. It was just, Hey, they're abandoning the middle. You go run over there. And quad was just making the throws, you know, that's, there was, there were throws that were bad, you know, like we talked about the interception. You can't, you can't throw off your back foot. Usually in this sport, you can't throw off your back foot into triple coverage in this sport and expect it to work out, you know, and I, I think there were some instances where quad actually did throw the ball away that I noticed. So obviously there's growth there, but I mean, it was just a great game for Georgia state in the passing game all around. And then uh, the other part of it, the Russian game had one of their better games in the last few games, um, even through some wins. I mean, they didn't run the ball particularly well against Georgia Southern um, at all. 
Uh, so I think that that probably was stuck in their craw a little bit as they were prepping for this game. But Destin Coates was his reliable self, 117. Really liked seeing what I saw from Jam Williams. I feel bad for him. Still hasn't gotten in the end zone. It's got to happen. He's got to come back and make it happen because he runs too well and too, he's just too quick for it to not happen. You know, that run that we posted, um, the 20 yard run. I mean, truthfully, if he had like half a second more speed, he'd have been gone. He would have been in the end zone. And then because we got to give the big boys credit as well, offensive line played really well. Uh, They were opening up the holes. I feel like, Every, I mean, I can't quote this, but I didn't watch the film like this closely, but I'm pretty sure each of the five had at least one play where they got to the second level and got a springing block for the back to be able to get some more yardage. And there were no huge runs. The biggest run of the day was that 20 yard run, but they could consistently get what they needed to, to either pick up the first down or make third and manageable happen. And it was just kind of what we have come to expect the last two years with the rushing offense, but gotten away from that a little bit. And so that it was good to see it again after a month off. And I mean, how, how many odds and how many uh, tweets after games do we send? We're like, Hey, look how balanced this offense was and 257 passing yards, 227 rushing yards. And I mean, the, the truth is, is that it, Quad can do something like average passing yards like he did in the final three games. And the rushing game can do what we know it can do. I mean, that's a scary offense. It's already an offense that's broken the points record two seasons in a row at Georgia State. Uh, this year, just over 33 points is where they're going to finish. But, I mean, if you're – we're talking like the 2019 team, I, I think they – were like 190 passing a game ticked up this year it's up in around 230 and the rushing maybe took a step back so on if if the running can get back to near levels where it was um, and i think maybe some of that will come from quad being a little bit more of a factor not nearly filling the shoes of what dan ellington was as a running quarterback but a little bit closer to that and he continues his growth and cuts out on some of the mistakes and the interceptions I mean, this offense could just hit a whole new level. It was like this. The point total is like this every week. I mean, we're talking about a 33 points a game offense when they scored 13 against App State and zero against Coastal. And like, yes, you're good. The Georgia State is going to schedule tough defenses. And yes, they're going to have games where they're not scoring 35 a game. But just taking it from a strictly numbers perspective, you scored 33 points when out of those two games, you got 13. Like if they get anything in either of those games, you know, we're talking about a near 40 point per game offense. Like that's scary. That's very scary. And I mean, just you taking the big picture view on quad, the interceptions obviously stood out. And I think if you extrapolated to 12 games, uh, they might mirror some of the other numbers, but interceptions were a problem for each of Connor Manning and Nick Arbuckle in their first years as well. I mean, they were throwing a ton, ton more. They had a ton more passing attempts. So part of it was that, but the interceptions, I mean, it's, it's going to make really 
easy to focus on what needs to get cleaned up in the off season. Cause it's going to be an obvious, like, this is what you got to work on. So that's, it's good in that way that it, you know, you get out in front of it in the off season, but we've seen older quarterbacks also just throw a lot of picks and I, I he forgets about it and plays good the rest of the game. And I just think with just a little, even just a little bit of cleaning that up, I just don't, one, I don't think it's necessarily just been something that, you know, is a worry. I think it, it happens even for more experienced guys playing at this level. But, you know, it's just to see how he continues to improve. And it's really easy to see that most young quarterbacks do clean up some of their mistakes like that type of interception we saw in the first quarter of this game. I mean, you see those mistakes and... <laughs> It, it's frustrating to see it happen, but quarterbacks, because you know, the best thing about freshmen is it becomes sophomores. It's definitely, you know, and you know, obviously I'm not JT O'Sullivan at the quarterback school. I just have, you know, my years of football watching experience, but I think the one thing that I am encouraged about with the quad interceptions is outside of a couple, you know, like I remember one in the Louisiana game and then the end zone before the half, the end zone interception before the half against South Alabama, a lot of quads interceptions are just, Hey, you shouldn't have thrown this ball either clean up your mechanics or make better decisions. And, you know, those are things that you can teach. It's not like he's making good throws and guys are pulling an ant lane, you know, on, on him. It's just a lot of those decisions are truthfully bad. You know, it's, he's throwing off of his back foot. He's staring at a receiver, like the pick six against, you know, East Carolina. Um, so it's, if you're looking for obviously any interception is bad, but if you're looking for, you know, a sign that quad has taken that next level, there's sorry. If you're looking for a sign that quad has taken that next step next year, it's going to be, how does his, how do his interceptions look from a process standpoint? Because sometimes you have great process and you still throw an interception like that happens. You know, you're not going to, that doesn't happen on every single interception, you know, but if a cornerback just makes a play on a ball, then all right, you did what you did. You, you did what you had to do and you know, stuff happens. But if he's, if he is going to take that, you know, as we like to call it the Georgia state second year bump, if you will, it's going to be cleaning up those bad process interceptions. And I mean, if you, like I said, if you look at all of his, he threw what nine interceptions this year, if you clean up a lot of those, you know, we're talking about like a two, three interception year. And that's, you know, Sunbelt player of the year caliber. If he's still being able to produce at the rate that he is. Yeah. And speaking of quarterback, just the one uh, Jordan talked about it, but also just worth mentioning, you know, McKaylee's touchdown, awesome throw. Happy he got that moment after the year started with such turmoil with him, with all the stuff with his health. I'm so glad that he got that moment. Glad that he got a chance to say, hey, coach, let me throw the ball instead of handing it off late in the game. And uh, it was a dart. It was a ridiculous throw. Cross hash to the like corner of the end zone. And I mean, you know, Shout out Kadarius Thompson for an incredible catch. But I mean, that throw was not what I expected right there at all. It was amazing. It was funny. As I was uh, following along, it was like McKay McKay's in the game. And it was early enough that 
especially off of a turnover and downs at the what 25 or so you might expect coaches to keep their guys in but oh shift change coaches co- calling off the dogs and then immediately as i was having that thought it was like so it's like i guess not all the way <laughs> i guess they're still running the offense they're not just calling dive for the next seven minutes or so no, but like, you know, like you said, it was a great moment. And, you know, I'm sure if this is a thing in college, he's got that game ball and he's going to tuck it away in his trophy case. So let's keep talking about quarterbacks, because as some of you may know, Furman's quarterback, uh, Darren Granger, has announced he's transferring into Georgia State and will join the Panthers next season. He will have three years of eligibility. He was 16 of 25 for 311 passing yards and five total touchdowns when the Furman Paladins came in to what was then Georgia State Stadium in 2019. He split time as a starting quarterback in 2019, threw for 1,222 yards, ran for 316 yards with 18 total touchdowns and three interceptions. No stats yet for this season. Furman has not yet played. Uh, Their conference will play the quote-unquote 2020 season in the spring with the rest of the football championship subdivision. Hey, anytime you can add talent to your quarterback room, run it. That's what I say. So, Yeah, I don't really know. I don't think any of us really know what means. I, I think my presumption is he, it seems like, got a scholarship offer. So it's not just like he's showing up to Atlanta. So coaches don't just throw around scholarships. So I think they have some plans for him. But given that he's new to the offense, new to the school, hasn't played in live action in the year. I think it's fair to say he's probably quarterback three, and it might be a guy that we never see take starts or, you know, take a snap at Georgia state. But based on the only eye test I have off of him, which was seeing him live in Georgia state stadium last year, kid can play a kid can throw it around. And so I'm all for the prospect of Georgia state having three guys that a Coach Elliott, Coach Glenn can trust to run the offense at any given point because Georgia State, we've talked about this. I, I feel like every spring we've had a chance to talk about this on the podcast. And even last year when Dan had his injury, uh, Georgia State's never really had a consistent two quarterback depth, let alone three. So if they can have this third guy who also can come in and be a guy that the coaching staff can trust in some capacity, certainly something. Uh, he comes from a offense that likes running the ball, so I like the thought of him adding something to the run for the quarterback play, even if it's just his experience and what he's done than what he does on the field. But um, not sure how it's going to play out as another face to keep an eye on during spring practice, but uh, what comes of the quarterback because I just went through in a row, three straight guys and it's all potential guys who could do something. And Georgia state's not been there. Even with the good quarterbacks they have had. I mean, what a year, like what a difference a couple of years makes because, you know, from a purely talent perspective, I don't know that there has been a quarterback room from top to bottom better than what the 2021 quarterback room is projected to be at Georgia state. 
I mean, you know, like Granger was absolutely not yeah, the no. reason that Furman lost to Georgia State last year. Absolutely no. not. That kid was balling. I mean, obviously looking at the numbers, extrapolating out the passing numbers, most of them was against Georgia State. And I mean, Furman runs first when they want to do. And I think it's possible they just switched up game plans based on what they saw from Georgia State. So there might be nothing there, but obviously the numbers, when you take out Georgia State's numbers, a um, little less scary. So I guess, you know, there might be, that's another reason to say, you know, maybe he isn't coming in to take over the competition, but it's competition. And it, it felt like Georgia State needed at least one more name in the quarterback room just to continue to add to that. I just, I don't know that it's a situation where it's a controversy as much as everyone loves to jump on overseas where you can have more than one guy and you know, that, that is a positive in many more ways than, you know, contrived quote unquote controversies can be detriments. All I heard you say was there's a quarterback controversy. So let's run it. Let's do it. Uh, competition's good. Audio is going live. Going to get uh, all the uh, tabloids, the sunbelt misquoting me so let's go ahead and move on to basketball the men will be traveling up to conway south carolina to face coastal carolina in a doubleheader friday at 6 p.m and saturday at 3 p.m to open sunbelt play coastal carolina is six and one like georgia state and they're coached by a real ncaa basketball legend in cliff ellis ellis is in his 14th season in conway has a 249 to 181 record and two ncaa appearances with the shots he's in the top 15 of all time in ncaa division one wins players to watch guard Devonte jones 23.4 points per game 3.9 steals per game deanthony tipler 16.9 points per game 21 of 47 from three on the year. Esau Mustafa, 15.3 points per game, 10.4 rebounds per game. Small sample sizes apply, but the Chanticleers have six shooters in the early going, making threes at better than a 40% clip. So, uh, gentlemen, what are our thoughts on the Chanticleers? Full disclosure, um, I can't really get a good read on this team. You know, I think... They're not terrible. Um, obviously, they have six wins, so you know that can't you can't discredit that. But they really have not played anyone. Um, they've got a bunch of you know D two and lower games, you know, and they did they did play Wofford, and you know, admittedly, Wofford is one of the better mid major schools, and that was on the road for Coastal, and you know, Wofford beat them by eleven, but that's you know that's probably about expected if Wofford is as good as people think that they are this year, so. Knowing what I know about Georgia State, I will say if the Georgia State that played against Tech and, you know, played in those home games, you know, the one that was rebounding, the one that was hitting their threes and, you know, was a little bit better at the free throw line. If that's the Georgia State that shows up, then they should have no problems coming away with at least one win this weekend, yet alone two. Yeah, I mean, I guess where Georgia State's at even though winning on the road is tough and especially with this format where you're playing the same team twice in a row, I'm going to want to sweep a lot of these road doubleheaders tough as it may be. I, Georgia state's at the place where winning on the road is tough, but they are building the program that they're 
trying to be the winning they're trying to be. And that just means you win your basketball games. You just, you take care of business. Uh, I likewise need to see this coastal team because I think that they obviously have some shooters and guys that if you have open looks, if you give up a lot of open looks for this team, they're going to make you pay, especially from the perimeter. But I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb to say that some of the high numbers are because they've faced inferior competition. Um, it just, it mean you can go into this game and saying, Oh, they've only played bad teams. So we'll be fine because Georgia state rocks, but it, I don't know that over the course of the Sunbelt season, Mustafa is going to average 15 and 10 and that Devonte Jones is going to have four steals a game because that number is just, I mean, that's an absurd number. I mean, if he does, he's going to be an all American uh, provided with all the scoring he's also doing. Right. Exactly. Uh, uh, so some of this, the big numbers uh, they do, I do wonder how much of that is just level of competition, but they can score and can rebound and their best two shooters get to the foul line and make their foul shots. Uh, Devontae Jones is just under just over 86% on the year, 31 of 36 and D'Anthony Tipler is 19 of 21 from the line for 91%. So if that particular problem with Georgia state flares up in this game where they're fouling and they're fouling those guys a lot, that could be a real problem where, as we are always saying, you just, you can't give shooters free points at the line when the clock isn't moving. But a lot, a lot of the things we're saying, I mean, I sure people, the, the coastal night podcast or uh, the coastal coaching staff. I mean, I don't think that they are looking forward to hosting Georgia state. I think that Georgia state has the same thing where they've got a lot of shooters and they're coming in. I, I will, we'll see how they come in after a little bit of a break. I know coach of the new year, let them go back from the holidays, which he was really happy. He was able to do, and he was really happy with all that they had committed to doing through this whole thing and bubbling up. And so he was happy. He was able to let them do that. And so we'll see where they are. So this is a good time to go into our favorite segment of the week. It's Tools of the Game, our weekly segment where we break down an upcoming matchup to reveal our thoughts about what both the Panthers and their opponent will need to do to win the game. And this week's matchup is the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, as we've been discussing. Tools of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010, and now Thursday night podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. There are two things that will propel either Coastal or Georgia State this for this weekend. First of all, for Coastal, it's got to be turnovers. This is a team that has a 22.8% turnover percentage. That's really bad. Um, they are very sloppy with the ball and especially against a team like Georgia state, you can't do that. You know, we have said before that if Georgia state is being active on defense, it, you know, will create a lot more chances for them and it allow them to push that tempo. And if 
Coastal Carolina is not able to take care of the ball like they haven't been against a little bit of inferior competition, it's going to be a long weekend for them. Conversely, for the Panthers, free throw shooting, we've said it over and over again. Um, They have not been a good free throw shooting team this year so far. It's gotten a little bit better, but it's still definitely something that needs to be improved upon. If Georgia State is going to win any of these games and be as good as we think that they can be this year, they're just going to have to continue to work on their free throw shooting until it is in that, you know, that comfortable high high 60s and low 70 range yeah, i mean shoot for the stars hit hit uh in the mid 70s Shoot for the stars david um i guess for mine those were definitely good ones to look out for i don't know that coastal is, is a plus 18 rebounding team i will say that i think they're a good rebounding team and that might be because they're playing teams where like six six um, but they are a good rebounding team. And I think the non LAL Sisseme players going to need to see a little bit more on the defensive glass cleaning up when it is in a, a situation where LAL can work over and get the rebound. I think some of the, you know, three, four guys in the defensive sets or just the tweeners, the forward guards, um, and, plays get in good position and get rebounds and not give coastal second chances because the thing that always haunts you in games is giving up offensive rebound. They kick it out to a guy open on the perimeter. And like we talked about coastal has got some shooters. So if you're giving team second chances and they're able to work a second chance three and they turn what should have been a zero point possession back into a three point possession, that's going to be what can stack up in these two games. Uh, but I don't think Coastal has been tested defensively like they will against the Georgia State team. I think the Georgia State team is going to be able to run at a tempo even faster, maybe even uh, than Coastal runs, which Coastal runs a fast tempo. But I think that they've maybe played teams that aren't as suited to run tempo. And so they're going to have to adjust in that way. And so that will be if the Georgia State offense that we've seen the last two years, most of the last two years is there and running down the court. I think that might be a little bit of a, oh, we haven't played this moment for Coastal. We'll see how that plays out of the two games. But that would be for Coastal, I would just say. They got to be ready for the Panther the Panther offense. So you can catch Panthers at Chanticleers this weekend. Again, that's Friday at 6 p.m., Saturday 3 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, One thing that will not be happening this weekend, though, the Georgia State women's basketball team has decided to pause team activities due to a pair of Tier 1 individuals testing positive for COVID-19. The school put out a press release, a little blip on the website on Wednesday, but uh, at the time of recording, we don't really know too much more outside of that. The team will be not doing any activities or practice for the next seven days. So we'll keep an eye on that and we'll let you know if anything changes. But uh, now it's time to move on into listener questions. First up is Carlos, who asks, how can Georgia State carry this momentum into the 2021 season? And can we push for a conference championship? I was going to say yes and yes, but I realized the first one isn't really a yes or no question. <laughs> um, I think that the the momentum, and I touched on this in my upon further review piece this week on the website. Uh, the first one if the team that has played the last month of the season, the last three, four games 
is the team that shows up in next fall. The, the how they carry the momentum is not that complicated. It's just continue to have a defense that isn't giving up more than 20 to 25 points a game on the regular, an offense that's able to air it out. And then it also in the bowl game was able to find the running game again. Um, it's really the, the formula is pretty easy to see there. It's just about the guys that were having success this year, bringing that into next year, the recruiting class that's coming in and, you know, any transfers that are coming in or any recruiting class still to be into the team isn't losing a ton. And that's before we know about any confirmed guys that are coming back using their extra COVID eligibility year. Um, but that could also be a situation where there's even more guys that are coming back that were really effective players. So I think that the how is easy. It's just about, you know, Coastal was a five-win team last year. This year, they won 11 games and were ranked. And so just it's football is weird and there's no real certainty because every team is trying to do the same thing. It's just about how the cards line up. But I think if you're going into this offseason, anyone who follows all the teams in some about, you see that Georgia State has a lot coming back and they have some momentum. And now you've got those two winning seasons in a row. It just feels like the, the rock is starting to roll down the hill. It really does. Um, I definitely agree with everything that you said. And I, you know, I will kind of posit this, if you will. If you look at every single quarterback in the Sun Belt that is that we know of right now today going into next year. How many of them can you definitively say, yes, you are better than quad is today, you know, removing any off season development that he has removing, you know, any springtime, any, you know, any, anything just today, how many can you say that are better than quad? I really can't think of more than maybe two or three that are going to be back next year. That matters. That's huge. You know, that stability for Georgia State specifically, you know, means that Georgia State will technically have an edge over teams who have some quarterback issues or who, you know, don't necessarily know their guy right now. Um, As far as how they can carry that momentum into the 2021 season, um, you know, recognize and distill down what really worked for the defense these last three weeks. You know, may, obviously it's college football, you know, football coaches love film and, you know, they're going to be watching film religiously over the next eight, nine months, you know, getting ready for to the 2021 season, you know, but I think the night and day changes with the defense from the beginning of the season to the end of the season is definitely something that should be watched because there was a lot of results that matched the process that wasn't quite there in the results department early in the season as it was in the later part of the season. And that, you know, that's going to be important for Georgia state to monitor and, you know, make sure that they can replicate next year. Um, And then obviously it's just getting, you know, getting the ball running and out of conference play. Uh, I think obviously they're going to Auburn, you know, they play a good army team next year as well. Um, So that'll be a different thing. And, you know, regardless of how out of conference play goes, you know, once Sunbelt play starts, just make sure that Georgia state is, 
better than they were this year. And I absolutely think that they can compete for a conference championship next year, you know, regardless of expectations going into the season, because every coach says that that is the bar. I wouldn't personally say that it's conference championship or bust for Georgia state next year, but it also wouldn't necessarily surprise me if in December next year, we're seeing the conference championship game being hosted at center park stadium. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I'll add one more thing, which didn't really answer the question because it's not really something that's entirely in Georgia state's control. But I think that a key thing building on momentum is just going to be staff continuity. It feels like unless someone gets hired away, which is always a possibility, there's a chance that Georgia State could have the same staff here for the first time since Coach Elliott's been here, um, which I think would be something that would go a long way towards building on this year. If everyone's got the familiar voice in the coaching room. And I think that across the board, especially with a defensive improvement late on, Everyone is a good coaching staff and they got the results they needed to this year. And so absent anyone getting hired away, which there's still jobs open, still possibility. Uh, we'll have to wait and see how all that shapes out. Um, other thing where if that does happen, another plus in Georgia State's momentum bag, so to speak. Last but certainly not least, we have Mike from Marietta as a follow up to last week's question. One, has the rest of the crew watched Die Hard since last week? And two, is there anything better than a bowl game win to end the season? So I'm going to echo Mike. Did you watch Die Hard yet or do I have to come kill you? So no Die Hard yet. David. But, uh, okay, hold on. Give me some credit. Brady did inform me that it is on HBO Max and I, as a subscriber of HBO Max, will be happy to sit down and watch Die Hard either at the conclusion of this podcast or tomorrow when I have some time before the holiday. All right. That sounded a little a uh, little passive aggressive, but all right. We are we're glad to hear it. I also watch Takes one to know one. Jeez. Hey. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, so that wasn't passive. That was aggressive. I've actually watched some movies since the last podcast. Now, none of them have happened to be Die Hard, but that wasn't by choice. But, I mean, I'm being honest. We're an honest pod around here. I'm not going to lie and be like, I have no time to watch movies. I have watched movies. It hasn't been Die Hard. Um, is this where I can plug in Soul real quick? Because if you haven't seen Soul, you need to see Soul. Oh my God, it's such a good movie. Pixar um, is just so good at the emotional aspect of animation. But that's not that what the this, question was about. This this so. animosity is working, and it's a nice little we can add. And I'm not going to let this. You know, I'm going to make this bit die hard. Boo! <laughs> oh man, saved well. it. Well, I, uh, I I fully expect, and as quote-unquote not your boss, trademarked, I order you to watch Die Hard before the next podcast so Mike doesn't find out where both of you live. Anyway, so let's let's move on to the second part of his question, which yeah. uh, to remind you... Mike's question next the, week okay. is going to be trivia questions about Die Hard and be like, what happened <laughs> in minute 33 of the movie? He's going to move into just pure factual stuff to just make sure that we're watching Complete the following phrase. Yippee ki a No, we're not we're not gonna go there. But yeah, um to to Mike's second question, is there anything better than a bowl game to win to end the season? 
Um, I honestly don't think so. Obviously, you want to see the team do really well. And uh, that they did amidst uh, the specific difficulties we did discuss earlier in the podcast. But, I mean, you just you can't beat it. Nobody thought, at least nobody in our specific circle thought that this was going to be a normal season. And it turned out not to be a normal season. But to finish off the season with a bowl win against uh, Western Kentucky, a team that we had beaten a bowl before, is, uh, you know, it's, it's a good feeling. Top the tops, if you will. It's a good feather in the cap. Well, I, I guess I should be smarmy a little bit and say that if you'd watch Die Hard, a good answer would be, is there anything better than a bowl game? The movie Die Hard from 1988, um, but can't make that joke. Not yet. Soon. Uh, I mean, I think that it isn't just the win. I, the win is obviously what you do the game for, you play to win the game. But I think the performance... And that this is the last Georgia State football people are going to see until not counting the spring game until next September when they play Army. I think it leaves a good taste in the mouth as and they can say last time I watched, that was a team that looked like they were going to maybe do something instead of it being a loss or a a bad performance where it's like, well, that's what we got to sit with for however many months. So the way that the win happened, huge pluses. All right. So as always, thank you so much, Carlos and Mike, for your questions. And if you want to have your question discussed on a Thursday night podcast episode, just keep a lookout for the question tweet that goes out every week uh, prior to your recording. Or you can hit us up individually through our email, thursdaynight at gmail.com or on any other social media platform. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us in this crazy, tumultuous 2020 year and everything that's been going on. We've had a fantastic time getting to cover the Panthers and bring a little bit of community back to a world that so desperately needs things like this. Uh, On behalf of everyone at Thursday night, I'd just like to take the opportunity to wish you all a happy new year and hope that 2021 brings you and the Panthers a lot of sustained success and exciting new opportunities. But that being said, that's all we've got time for this week. We will catch you next week for the first episode of 2021 and hopefully talking about a fantastic Panther doubleheader win over Coastal Carolina and basketball. But that's all we die hard and die hard. Please, for the love of God, both of you watched that movie. But that's all we got. We'll catch you next week. Thank you so much for listening. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.